Welcome to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. Over the next hour, Ingrid and guests will discuss how historical trauma impacts the human experience and how we can move towards collective healing. Now, here is your host, Ingrid Cochran. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, this is Ingrid Cochran. I'm CEO of Paces Connection. Today, our topic is um, a very important topic. We are going to be focused on healing-centered engagement, especially with youth. And so I want to take this time to thank you for joining us. I also want to introduce my co-host, Matthew Portell. How are you doing today, Matthew? I am doing fantastic and glad to be uh, back on the podcast. Yes, thank you so much. Today, we're going to be talking to Joshua Smith, and this is a part of a partnership. So, Matthew, please tell us more about our new partnership with Intech. Yeah, very excited um, that we're partnering with Intech, which is the National Training and Technical Assistance Center for Child, Youth, and Family Mental Health. Um, they're a peer support special. They have peer support specialists, social workers, teacher, or other professionals. They're there to help the mental well-being of youth and families, which is great, especially for today's topic as we talk about um, healing-centered youth uh, voice. But the the picture of the journey is a, is a young person once lost and struggling, finding their path to happiness and stability with the guidance and resources. Intact is and has been partners to many youth. So they have offerings of workshops, virtual community gatherings, and even personalized health from a team of experts. So if you want to check them out, you can go to intact and mentalhealth.org. And that is N-T-T-A-C mentalhealth.org to see what they have to offer um, because they, like all of us, uh, want to build a brighter future for youth and families um, as they work together. Thank you so much, Matthew. So our guest today is Mr. Joshua Smith. Um, I'm very excited to have you here. I want to uh, give you some space to introduce yourself, tell us about yourself and the work that you do, and then we'll jump into today's discussion. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, good afternoon. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to share time and share space with you. So I think uh, me, Joshua Smith. Okay, so first of all, uh, I started in Los Angeles County. I was born in Pasadena, California. And, uh, you know, just that environment alone drove my mom to move me out of that um, space around mm -hmm. the age of eight or 10. You know, um, we arrived in Northern California where she was hoping I had escaped that lifestyle. However, um, I think that my environment just really got a hold of me between then and about the age of 15. And, uh, you know, I experienced homelessness, being frequently unsheltered. Uh, I had some really strong gang affiliations and just just the wrong type of guidance, right? I was looking for leadership in all the wrong spaces. Um, so eventually, just before I turned 18, my mom was really concerned about uh, my next steps and, um, you know, my pathway that I was on. So she moved me to beautiful Washington State. <laughs> Shout out Olympia, right? And uh, since then, I, I liken it to being on a vacation. The environmental change has uh, really just expanded my expanded my horizons, right? I've gotten to see things, experience things, feel things that I otherwise would not have the opportunity to have experienced in those other environments. And, you know, just, just seeing the power and the impact of that, um, I realized it at an early age and I wanted to support not only the people in my family and my close-knit community, but other individuals in my community at large and experiencing that change and that, that breath of fresh air. Um, and at the time, what I thought was environmentally related, I learned it was resource related. It was connection related. It was who are, who is my network? You know, who am I soaking up information from? Who am I getting praise from? And all of those things took a pivot once I made it here to Washington State. Um, and I think that, that just knowing that uh, carrying that with me really propels me into the work that I do. Um, 
And I think the long and short of, of my career side of things is I was really drawn to other individuals like myself. And for me, I identified as a gang member. I identified as uh, uh, an individual from rural spaces, right? I wasn't from a big city. Uh, we didn't have city buses, right? Uh, just, so just understanding all of those things that came with my identity, I wanted to reach out and connect with other individuals who maybe in the same spaces as I was when I was still having those gang ideations, right? And not understanding what those gang ideations were. Uh, but really, I was just searching for leadership. I was searching for acceptance, right? So knowing all of that, that's what propels me in the work that I do today. And I, I specifically aimed my career towards juvenile justice uh, because I honestly feel like our entire carceral system at the juvenile level is filled with little pieces of me. And I, if I could do everything that I can to free me, <laughs> that's, that's what I'll do, right? Yeah, thank Absolutely. you so much for sharing that. Um, I definitely understand. I, I came into the, this work through juvenile justice as well. I think I told you a little bit about that. I, um, you know, one thing before we kind of dig more into kind of what is healing-centered engagement, I want to um, check in with you and see, you know, in your work, in your professional career, when you were first exposed to the adverse childhood experiences study and, and its findings, what were your feels? How did it impact you? Really great question. Um, when I learned about the ACEs study, uh, I felt a sense of, I felt a sense of, like, sort. I want to say that I, I was almost lost again. Right. Because I was unaware of the trauma that I was carrying with me. Right. I, I couldn't name it. I couldn't identify it. Uh, and in all honesty, I thought it was a part of my human experience and everyone's human experience. And it was expected. Right. So when I learned that those experiences are a not dope. Right. And B, like there's there's measurement on how outcomes land when you have these ACE scores. So I felt cheated almost. Um, I felt I felt a lot of different feelings in that moment, but discovery was probably the the most highlighted one that I remember to this day was I got to discover a piece of me again and build up and away from that because I got to identify it finally, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Mm. Yeah, and Joshua, I will say um, you were modest on telling your your what you've done. So I, I want to give you some accolades because you are a peer support specialist. You are a recovery coach. You are a community reinventor. You're an innovative leader. You've written a book called Keep It Effing Going. Yes. Like I have already been on Amazon checking that. Yeah. Um, you are the owner of Our House Resource Group, a local nonprofit. and uh, you created some groundbreaking Narcan's uh, stations. Yes. You didn't mention any of those things. So <laughs> I wanted to, to give you uh, give you some love there in that space because you you do and have and are doing a lot, and that makes that brings me to, you know, what is healing center engagement, mm -hmm. um, and why is it so important, especially now. Oh, that is a really great question, especially about the timing piece, right? Uh, first thing I want to shout out is Jason Clark, which is the director and founder of Northwest Credible Messenger. Uh, he is an amazing partner, friend, and co colleague. Uh, he is the one who introduced me to Healing Centered Engagement, and uh, Healing Centered Engagement was designed by Dr. Sean Jenright. And the approach that I learned initially when I came into this field was, uh, you know, being trauma informed and how important and impactful that is to the work that we do. And trauma informed care is really going from, you know, what's wrong with you to, hey, you know, what happened? Or, what happened to you? And the Healing Centered Engagement piece emphasizes the holistic approach that considers like collective and cultural traumas right so we want to highlight the the what's right with you like how can we champion the best things about you and really dig into those things right what brings you joy 
And, uh, and and so when I'm thinking about the differences between those two, I think that trauma-informed care is really impactful, but healing-centered engagement is like the the 102, right? It's the, the next one up. So it's really impactful to our systems. And the connection, I think, is really just understanding when you show up and, and you can really factor in that trauma, um, but really also encompass emotional, social, spiritual, and political aspects of well-being, like what it means to be in this environment or from that environment, and how can I show up and be more than just a supportive uh, uh, agency, more than just a supportive individual, but how can I create agency? Right? How can I actively incorporate all of our cultural practices, narratives, and traditions, and recognizing like their vital role in the healing process? You know, so um, that's that's healing-centered engagement, just a little bit into the window, but uh, but it really just uh, emphasizes and stresses the importance of like relational connections and fostering authentic relationships and building communities that support and nurture healing. Yes. I, whenever I think about the difference between trauma-informed care and trauma-informed practices versus healing-centered, um, it makes me think about the concept of um, scientific colonialism. We have this very clear narrative in our society that's focused on the um, deficit um, research that we have on people of color, people living in poverty and in youth, and that is lacking in context. Um, and this drives, you know, most practitioners, so social work, teachers, psychologists, doctors, you know. Um, and so when we look at the healing center space, what I appreciate much, so much about it is first, um, it pulls on traditional ways of being. It pulls on ancestral knowledge. Yes. Um, it really highlights not, you know, and, and just to even to build on kind of, you know, what's right with you. But, you know, the fact that your ancestors have overcome so much, um, you know, historically, when we bring in like groups who've experienced historical trauma, and that's kind of left out of the narrative, right? Um, so the reason why we have so much deficit information out there and research is because, you know, we live in a racist system, racist oppressive system that is negatively impacting communities. And then we tell just one half of the story and say, oh, educational outcomes are poor or, oh, uh, mental health outcomes are poor without saying, well, yeah, there's a reason for this. And also, you know, despite all of this, your ancestors and your community is still here and has managed to thrive. And what does that look like? And what are the things that they were able to do? And let's highlight those as opposed to just, you know, being aware of the individual trauma. Um, that people experience. So I definitely think you know, as we are in this trauma-informed movement that, you know, healing-centered practices are the next level. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think just to add on to what you're saying, like to be able to not only identify what, what our ancestors historically did to build community and build connection through the processes and through the barriers that they did, like how did they do that, right? And it's those key pieces that are the actionable things within healing-centered engagement. And whether it's uh, song, whether it's cooking, whether it's uh, connective uh, community, right? What are we doing to stay together, stay connected, and, and keep our values our values, right? So um, yeah, just knowing those things is important to uh, to carry on this process. Well, and you know, it makes me think, Ingrid. I've I've done a lot of growing, Josh, since I've been at Paces. Um, just learning more in this podcast is one of those. It makes me think of this idea of saviorism, right? Mm -hmm. Where when we're constantly coming from a white supremacy standpoint of thinking through that lens right not that i'm a white supremacist by any means but obviously what i'm saying is culturally mm -hmm. is the the idea of of uh from the very beginning colonialists coming here to save the native the 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 native americans and us even to this day going to other places to you know put our western ideas and culture on them there's an idea of saviorism that permeates our culture and I think coming from public ed, I used to see it all of the time where when I would interview educators and, and they would say, well, it's my mission to help the poor. Mm 
And I would be like, no, <laughs> not, not here. Right. Because it's not about that. Matter of fact, I say it all the time. I think I learn more from the community and students than they might've ever learned from me. Mm-hmm. So that I part. think that saviorism is, is to- can be, is toxic and, and permeates a lot of this work. If we're not careful, I want to go back to, to one of the questions, why now, why Yes. Is now so important for this work because I believe now, if any time more than ever, it's needed. Absolutely, and, and I think that uh, our not only our systems but our communities as a, as a whole are are in desperate need of healing centered engagement, strategic engagement, and when we see things like George Floyd, right? When we see things like. Well, the riots in, in Seattle, right? When we see the happening in Seattle, right? So when we see these things, we have to know that there is, um, those are symptoms, right? Those are symptoms of a cause. And if we can identify that cause, uh, then we can we can actively put in steps to make changes, right? So I would say right now is so important because our our country as a whole, our, our planet as a whole has gone through a, a pandemic our entire planet has gone through trauma within the last three years right we've lost people we've uh, been locked in homes when we're extroverts right we've suffered right our seventh graders missed eighth grade went into ninth grade and now are failing okay we have things that um, have impacted us over the past say i'd even package it into five years or so uh, that are really calling for some sort of change in the filter, right? We have to change the filter so the water's pure. And I think healing-centered engagement and strategic engagement is is definitely that. Yeah. One of the things that comes up for me in this conversation is, you know, we've had this kind of thread of colonialism and let's con- let's continue to ride that thread. So yeah. I... You know, when we talk about indigenous and ancestral practices, one of the functions of colonialism was to strip away those those practices. And so as we have um, chattel slavery and um, genocide and land theft, we also have this stripping of practices that not only are good for us as, you know, as individuals in our communities, but also good for the planet. And this stripping of indigenous um, and ancestral practices has left us ill-equipped as a collective Come to on. address the issues that we have today. Um, it is really the the real cost of colonialism and white supremacy is that we are disconnected from um, traditional practices unless they have kind of been rebooted and brought back around. And so, you know, when I think about the way that people are using healing center practices now and have circles and you know this push for doulas and midwives to come back it's like we're beginning to see that you know this way of being is not healthy for us that the um collective and our collective practices is really what we need to have we're missing our villages our villages have been completely taken away um all to kind of get on board with this individualistic society that we have and then we have a pandemic come along and everyone is is suffering. Um, and then it highlights, oh, we need to engage in self-care. We need to you know, get back to this communal space. We need to get back to taking care of the collective. And I think it's sad that we had to get there to for us as a, as a group to decide that maybe we do need to incorporate these indigenous and ancestral practice, practices, maybe those um, indigenous people and indigenous Africans, and um, maybe they did know exactly what they were talking about. Maybe they weren't savages. Maybe they did have uh, civilization and religion, and you know, and that's what we need now. And so I think healing center practices are really where we need to go as a collective. So I'm excited to have this conversation. For sure, for sure. And I, I want to just note that um, I was driving through Northern California in the Redwoods, and the Yurok tribe has a really big uh, sign, um, billboard, and the slogan on it says, culture is prevention, right? And just digging into that and thinking about how when we have identity, when we have clear community, right, it's that 
that really supports prevention of risky behaviors from drug use. Um, it's what supports individuals going through mental health challenges, right? Uh, behavioral health challenges and all the above. So just understanding that culture and community is prevention is really, really powerful. And, and knowing going back historically, we know that culture was a target of annihilation from from the beginning of our country's yes. existence, right? It was um, kill the Indian, save the man, right? Yeah. It was it, it and it was within those we brought uh, here for slavery, right? It was extinguish all culture and even using um, faith as a uh, substitute for the African culture that they were bringing. It's just amazing, and still to this day, um, I see. I see this happening across um, our country. I see it happening um, within the county I live in, from banning books to um, these debates that are happening. It's just interesting that we have all of this information about what it takes to heal community and the power of connection and culture. And yet there's still this driving division of we've got to keep people away from each other. Right. Because I, I believe that if if both rural and uh, me, um, metropolitan areas would come together to figure out, wait a minute, we're we're all upset and dealing with some of this disillusion and disconnection. Wow, what a powerful piece it would be. And I, th I think that comes down to your work, right, is about healing and talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you've done, whether it's your book or your nonprofit. Um, and I am very interested in your Narcan stations okay. um, because that is something that has impacted me personally mm -hmm. um, and my family. So I, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing in your community. Around perfect. Here. Perfect. Well, uh, let's start with uh, the book, right? The book was created um, out of necessity, right? I would go into a juvenile facility. I'd, I'd work, build connection, bring consistency and authenticity. However, I would have to leave, right? And upon my exit, you know, staff would say, how are you making this connection with the youth? Like we are not understanding. Um, and then a lot of the questions were, you know, what did you do to get to where you are? And really it was from years and years of different literature, different uh, poems, affirmations, all kinds of tools and modalities that helped me build my confidence, helped me really keep effing going, right? So I, I started to develop um, things like uh, yoga poses and breathing exercises to help individuals who are having behavioral health challenges who couldn't, uh, you know, go to the gym or couldn't go to Walmart or couldn't take, you know, whatever they would, uh, pathway that they would normally take because they were incarcerated. So if I can uh, provide the Dokodo principles to you about uh, how important it is to rely on yourself and uh, celebrate your community, then that's giving you a jewel, right? A piece to, uh, to kind of add to your toolbox. So I, as I was building this uh, document or it, which turned it into the, the book, uh, we ended up having affirmations, celebrations, uh, and, and really truths about who we are, um, help us identify ourselves, help us set goals. And in the book is a curriculum of sorts, right? So you start out and it says, you know, day one or one day, you decide. Everyone has a choice to make, and it's up to you whether today is your day one or if you're still going to just say one day. And towards the, the middle of the book, we get into leadership principles, right? Because now we've gotten comfortable, we've built trust, and, you, and it's 365 days. So each page, you're going through getting another piece, another piece. Um, and towards the end of the book, we've got now reflect back on your, your last journey, right? And prepare for your next one. How can you prepare for your next one? You know, things like that. So um and and the book actually uh because different learning styles are important has actually evolved into a board game right so i can pull up to a treatment center i can pull up to a, a group home and we're breaking out the board game and it has the same exact principles you draw a card and it says you know uh describe to the group uh one challenge that you've had this week and three things that you have done to, to overcome it 
and for points, blah, blah, blah. So it became an exciting, engaging thing as well. So you're digging through the, the work, you're getting the good jewels and uh, getting that healing centered tools as well as a part of it. So that's super awesome. Yeah, I I often talk on this podcast and anywhere I go, really, um, mm-hmm. how much my time in a facility with juvenile offenders really shaped the work that I'm doing in good and, and, and negative ways. So when I first, you know, was there, I had a very skewed vision of juvenile offenders and the families that they came from. And I, I so I, it was a personal journey for me to understand it. But also while I was there, you know, the interaction that I have with those children really helped me to have a very different view of the world and what was needed and connection was definitely an issue. But also, like you said, those jewels, they needed wins. They needed small wins to build on. They needed to build their self-efficacy and they had never really had an environment to, to make that happen. And unfortunately, the environment that they had that was structured enough to make that happen was while they were incarcerated. And so I definitely, you know, that resonates with me and my experience. And it really shows how important it is that we, um, that we, we create those environments that are healing centered before children become incarcerated, that we, we have this very clear roadmap about how we get to this point with children um, with parents, with young parents, with soon-to-be parents, with, you know, this, our overall, you know, collective, a clear picture of how we facilitate these environments to create these small wins. Yes. Um, and so that there's a takeaway and that uh, they also understand who they are and where they come from. That's not deficit-focused, but also focused on, you know, what's possible, what their ancestors were able to overcome, what are the things that they you know, needed in the moment to get them where they needed to go um, based on kind of ancestral knowledge. So I think this conversation is is great. And um, we're going to take a break and come back and talk more about healing-centered and engagement with youth and also talk more about where you, Joshua, see this movement going, um, kind of what what is future forward for healing-centered engagement. Mm-hmm. And so we'll be back in just a moment. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. In this polarizing age of misinformation, it is critical to examine the lessons of the past on history, culture, and trauma. Ingrid Cochran, CEO of Paces Connection, and her guests will explore historical trauma and outline how our collective past shades our perception of today's world and our shared experiences. In this podcast, we will examine the impact of past atrocious cultural events and the impact of the systemic trauma of racism and poverty on the human experience. Ingrid and her guest will also outline what is needed for our collective healing. Please join us for History, Culture, and Trauma, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to History, Culture & Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. 
If you have questions for Ingrid or her guests, or want to share your story, join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Here again is Ingrid Cochran. Just kidding. It's not actually Ingrid, although she is here. Um, I, I, I wanted to, uh, just let everybody know about an amazing event that we have coming up. Um, it's a heavy event, uh, but it's a much needed event. Uh, we have a three part series starting, uh, on October 4th of 2023 of this year, uh, called addressing the epidemic of school shootings. Um, this is a three part series. We're going to be doing it three different days of the month, focusing on three different areas. Uh, the first one is prevention. The second session, which is October 11th, is on impact. And the third session is on October 18th, and it's on response. Uh, we have experts coming from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast, from um, a, a school resource officer to a judge of a trauma-informed court um, coming to speak to us about this epidemic that we are experiencing. So uh, we hope you will check it out. If you're interested, it is $99 per session or series of the series, or you can do the whole series for $250. Um, and these are, this is lasting from 11 a.m. Central Time until 4 p.m. Central Time. So it's almost a full day professional learning. So I uh, wanted to make you aware of that. But Ingrid, um, I know we have a lot to talk about. So uh, let's let's jump back in. Thanks, Matthew. And you can learn more about that series at um, www.pacesconnection.com. In our first half of this discussion, um, we have been talking with Joshua Smith, really focusing on healing-centered engagement and his work um, with youth and, um, and really what I, I consider to be youth voice work and helping them to empower themselves, to know themselves, and to use their voice. Um, so I want to jump back into that conversation um, and uh, I know that in the first half, we were kind of digging into some of the work that you have done. Um, we want to talk more about, as we move forward, more about um, our house. And we want to definitely touch on the Narcan stations that you were able to develop. Awesome. And then we want to move into kind of, you know, again, that forward facing. Where do you see healing-centered engagement as we move forward in this movement? Okay, yeah, let's let's start at the party. So where do we start first? Do we want to touch base on the Our House or Narcan stations? Boom. All right. So lead the way. <laughs> I definitely want to touch on the Narcan stations because I think it's extremely relevant um, in, in this climate that we have currently with youth and youth mental health. Um, and then we can dig a little bit more into learning more about your organization and All how right. you see the movement going forward. Absolutely. Well, um, I think first thing uh, I'd like to do is just uh, shout out my my little sister. She uh, is a really big source of, of fuel for me in this work that I do. Uh, she lost her battle with substance use challenges and mental health challenges in 2017. And since then, it's been my... Uh, my passion to really support other individuals who may be experiencing or uh, or have experienced those similar challenges. And um, so I've carried that with me. Um, and recently in the past, uh, I'd say about six to eight months, I lost a dear friend of mine in a, in a public location uh, due to fentanyl. And my thoughts were, where was everyone's Narcan that we all have carry with us, given out for free, is now at preschools? Where was that Narcan? And um, I knew that where he was found, there was an AED defibrillator. I knew that there was a fire extinguisher. I knew that there was uh, something in that building to support life. Um, and there wasn't Narcan in that building, right? And I, I thought, I just had an aha moment. What if there was a Narcan station right next to the AED? Right, what if there was a Narcan station right next to the fire extinguisher? What if there was a Narcan station in the public bathrooms, right, where we know that 90% of overdoses happen, right, in private uh, bathroom spaces, right? Um, and that's where the Narcan station was born. 
Uh, we have partnerships with over 11 treatment centers currently who house Narcan stations. Um, it's not a, a really overly expensive process or we don't need Narcan machines that dispense them. This is just a sign that says use in case of emergency. Um, here's how to use it. Here's when to use it, symptoms, etc. And uh, it just gives individuals in our community an extra opportunity to not run out to their car and say, oh, I got Narcan in the car, or it's in my trunk, or is it in my purse? It's within steps, right? So that's where the Narcan stations kind of developed. And I would even say that the the, the nonprofit began um, very similarly just through need. We saw gaps and, and decided, how could I connect with um, – with the community in a way where we're not falling in these gaps anymore. While I'm partnered with the, the food bank, I'm noticing the lines are kind of thin, right? However, in the assessments that I'm doing, people are stating they need food. And I'm just, I was curious about that misconnect. And I realized, well, for my mom, she couldn't load all five of us up into our 1984 Chevy and hope that we make it there and back and uh, all the things, right? So balancing barriers is another thing that is difficult for some of our community members. And just knowing that and learning that, we started Our House Resource Group in order to bridge those gaps. And at first, we were bridging gaps between individuals and care. Uh, and then we moved into agency-to-agency -agency connection because we saw that a lot of our agencies are siloed. They have programs and partnerships that could support each other in their success, and they just don't know about it. So we ended up becoming that bridge, right? Um, and through, through more and more processes, I believe that as the need came, um, such as COVID, we would pivot. Right. And uh, we've done things as far as giving out 100 Thanksgiving turkeys, 500 Halloween costumes and baskets, uh, Christmas gifts for 200 families, like all of those things. Uh, but those were just the carrots to get the conversation and relationship started so we can dig in build trust, build rapport, and find out what the real gaps were, such as housing, education, employment, right? So we would we would have these events, dangle a carrot, make connection, and really dig into how we can support. So Joshua, have you always been an activator? Have you always been one that sees something and, and does it? And also, do you find that, um, I find I, I identify myself as an unapologetic disruptor. Um, it hasn't always been for good. I've always been, <laughs> I just had to hone my, my skill to being for good. Is this something that, that you've always just been, Hey, I see something, I'm going to do it. Um, because I'm always interested in, in, in people like you, uh, that innovators and those who jump in and like, this is going, I need to do this now because this is going to be the impact. Yeah, I, I think so. And um, I've always been the contrarian, right? I'm the guy that is not afraid to say the bad idea, to complete the bad idea, and then hope it has value somewhere, right? So um, even when I was young, I thought that I wanted to be like the best gang leader. I wanted pe my people to eat and have jobs and like be successful. And and that's just the, only the information that I had at the time, right? So when I would get, uh, when I would broaden my horizons, I would use those same skills of uh, being confident and walking into a room and not, it doesn't matter who's in here, who, bring them to me, right? And, and just taking that with me was important, but also being solution-based, um, was just a part of my upbringing and my culture. I understood that if I did not find a solution um, as soon as possible, then it's likely that I'll be sleeping again in the cold truck. And because of the way our systems are set up, it's likely that the tried and true um, processes and pathways probably won't work for me because of my background, because of my address, because of what have you, right? The disqualifiers. So be, being innovative in that space and finding ways like, okay, I've not been able to get hired for six months because of my brand new felony. What can I do now to support my family? And, you know, that, that builds, that, that creates entrepreneurs, that creates a uh, detail shops that creates individuals who have to be innovative and, you know, 
get it out the trunk, as they say, you know. So uh, that's a, a big part of, of my background. So coming into spaces where I see a need, I can be really innovative and think, how can we, A, meet the need, but have positive outcomes with that need, you know. Yeah, I think this is a good segue into kind of, you know, where do you see um, healing-centered engagement as we move forward? It's, you know, obviously we're talking about youth, but you know, this is be broader to you know, the collective, everyone. Right. As we move into this post-COVID era, what does healing-centered engagement look like, or what it what could it be? What could it be? That's great, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take some pages from uh, my mentor Jason Clark, right? And and just we have to understand that. I cannot provide services, especially healing-centered services, unless I've experienced healing myself, right? We have individuals coming into our system who are still dealing with childhood traumas, not understanding how to navigate feelings, emotions, um, and, and really having that healing-centered process that they've gone through themselves and, and going into spaces and causing harm and, and re-traumatizing the youth and the young adults that we serve. So while it's going to be really, really important to support our youth and young adults in receiving healing-centered engagement uh, uh, certificates and trainings and experiences, the adults that are leading these conversations, the adults that are guiding our youths, um, the adults are the key to the puzzle, right? Because if we're causing trauma um, by just bringing in what's attached to us still, um, bringing in our luggage and our bags, then um, we're doing a disservice to our community. And that's really the bottom line. So it has to start from the top because uh, as we know, um, trauma is cyclical right? So uh, hurt people hurt people, and it'll continue. Heal people can heal people, and it'll continue, right? So yeah, I think that's a, you know, I'm often a critic of this movement, mm -hmm. cases, trauma-informed movement, and I think this, what you're saying is um, extremely relevant, and why the trauma-informed work that we're doing is a bit stalled, um, because we are still at the space of, um, you know, raising awareness of trauma, but not moving into healing. We still think trauma is affecting another group over there. Um, these other people need this, you know, this healing, not so much myself. Um, yeah. So people are not engaging in healing practices for themselves, largely due to, again, the oppressive structures that we have been raised in, you know, it was, we're just kind of in the soup of racism and capitalism. And, um, and we are not seeing that we need to be healed in a real way, that we need a shift in the way that we see the world, a shift in our paradigm before we yeah. can even begin the process of healing others. So that really resonated with me. Sure. Uh, you, you, yes, all of that, <laughs> Joshua. I, I tell you, like I said, I came from public ed, so um, I saw this. I saw this process of unhealed adults harming children, not physically harming, emotionally harming, yeah. and in all transparency and honesty, I psychologically harmed kids. Yeah, um, especially early in this work, I thought it was this work. What you just said was for someone else until I realized, oh my goodness, I began to dig into my own life and my own experience and I yes. had severe PTSD and the home and of any, I grew up in an evangelical home and all of these things began to go, well, why did I use when I got out of school, right out of high school? Why was I using for a long time? Why was I? And then it was like, oh my goodness, this has nothing to do with anybody but myself, right? Yes. And I believe in these helping professions. I wish we could have, instead of some of these courses we have, we have a personal journey therapeutic course that everybody has to experience, right? Because I've seen hurt adults hurt children. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about parents. I'm not talking about the community. I'm talking about trusted adults in schools that are so dysregulated, are so um, dealing with their own childhood experiences. When a child tells you to F off, like something happens and adults <laughs> completely, like, 
but that F off had nothing to do with me, right? So I agree with that 100%. And my hope for the future would be that in these helping professions that people have to do their own work before yes. we have these interactions with with youth and, and students and, and even adults. Um, Absolutely. Because Absolutely. ego... <laughs> Ego and and that 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 re-traumatization of our own inner child um, can truly have such an adverse effect on those in which we hope we are supporting. Um, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. And you know that's why I do the work that I do. Uh, so I not only work with the Department of Children, Youth, and Family, but I also work with Javon Jones's. Jones Community Solutions, and it's an amazing, an amazing agency out of King County in, Seattle, in, in Washington, right? And um, the entire purpose and, and mission of Jones Community Solutions is exactly what you're talking about, is that education piece, offering trainings, offering uh, um mentorships, offering processes and pathways. So professionals, young adults, um, uh, adults who are just looking to get into maybe peer support, right, can have those culturally relevant trainings, right, can really be supported in trauma-informed care on another level, right? And, and that's like why we do the work that we do, exactly what you just said. So we can provide it to those community partners, to the educators, to the individuals, to the trusted adults that are really um, in care of our community when you and I are at work, right? Yeah, that was great. Yeah, and one of the, one of the things that has come up in this conversation is how much um, childism is at the center of this conversation and you know the reason why you know adults have such a difficult time when they experience any type of agency in a child or pushback or talking back or disrespect or you know um is is really rooted in how we view children in our society mm -hmm. uh, and how we discount them and disvalue them because they are basically in a position where they need us um and so because they are dependent on us. There's some resentment there that they have to do exactly what we say and act exactly how we want them to act. And um, and when they don't, um, it it is a trigger for for adults um, who have been also raised in this space where they, as children, had no agency. Mm -hmm. um, and that resentment is deeply rooted in in kind of a sense of jealousy. Like, who do you think you are? When I was a child, I didn't yes. get. This agency, I didn't. I wasn't able to talk back. I had to follow the rules and and things of that nature. And, and I think that healing centered engagement um, is kind of the cure for that. Mm -hmm. um, not just for the for the child, but also for the adult. Um, and it gives people a chance for a do over. Right? You yes. didn't get this when you were a child. What does it mean to facilitate that for another child? And help them and possibly reduce or at least bolster their resilience um, yeah. so that they can have a different experience than you, as opposed to wanting to keep hold of this system that kept you in oppressed as a child. Absolutely. Ingrid, you just took me from the choir to you put me into the congregation. So that happened really quickly. I was like, yes. Oh, wait, I have a 12 year old, right? And <laughs> Man, and, and I, I say that not jokingly, but very seriously, theory to practice is so challenging when we yes. are overcoming our own experiences as children and how as a child I was seen and not heard. I was to be quiet. I was not to spoke unless I spoke to how that permeates our core systems and belief until mm. we begin to try to peel it back. My son is very spirited. He is not afraid to tell you how he feels, which is what we want him to do yes. to other people. <laughs> because when it's to us, it's really hard. Like, Dad, but you yelled at me, right? And, and I think that goes to what you said, Joshua, about how we can take those experiences that we had and, and we, can, we can utilize those in a way that benefits those around us or – hinders or hurts those around us yes that was that you you hit me in the heart ingrid when i was like man you're talking about me and i think it goes to saying this i i was watching a video of a child psychologist that said if you have a 12 to 20 year old you better surround yourself with people you trust and care about because yeah. they can say things to your child that you can't mm -hmm. 
And that was, and this, what you're talking about, that's what, this is healing centered engagement. That's exactly what. Exactly that. And, and actually thinking about like the practice piece, there's times now, including last night where I really have to take a moment and say, that wasn't healing centered when I'm talking to my nine-year-old like that. Right. And how can I support him uh, uh, expanding his horizons right here in this moment, you know, and just just going into practice like I need to make sure that I bring this home with me. And it's all the time that I'm catching myself learning and and becoming better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a five year old and whenever she triggers me, (laughs) I call it that she's activated my ancestral DNA. <laughs> bringing out, bringing out my black mama this week. <laughs> but, um, but I, we have just a few minutes, and Josh, I want to give you some space to close us out. Is there anything that you want to give to our audience before we end this conversation? Any takeaways that you want to make sure that you drive home? Yes, absolutely. Um, first things first, please check out Dr. Sean Jenright's book for pivots, right? And uh, anything healing centered engagement, right? Check in with it. Uh, become a certified healing-centered engagement practitioner. Um, I want to give a big shout-out to Javon Jones, Annette Jones. Uh, I want to give a big shout-out to Jason Clark and the whole Credible Messenger family. But um, really, if if I could just give one piece of advice to everyone that's listening, um, and that is through the rain, through the storms, right? Um, sometimes we might not be able to navigate these waters, but if you just keep effing going, you will end up under the sun, right? So I appreciate each and every one of you guys for connecting and listening and bringing it in. Um, And feel free to pick up my book if you'd like, Keep Effing Going by Joshua Smith and Jordan Davis. Catch us on Amazon. (laughs) Thank you so much, Joshua. This has been a great conversation. Um, And I, and you know, there's, there's so many jewels in this conversation that, you know, we can take away, but I do want to, um, you know, make it very clear that as we talk about healing-centered engagement, that we are really talking about treating children as people, um, that we are really focused not just on deficit, but also on strengths, and not just individual strengths, but also ancestral strengths, um, the strengths of those who came before us. Um, COVID is 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 a perfect example of that. Many youth during this time are feeling lost. Um, and they are dealing with angst and, um, you know, just not seeing the world as a safe place and so much there. And being able to very clearly say, not only will you get through this, but, you know, your ancestors were able to get through this. This is not the first time we've had a pandemic. This is not the first time we've had collectively traumatic experiences. You know, your ancestors made it through um, times of genocide, times of enslavement, um, made it through obvious, you know, economic downturns and and other collectively traumatic experiences, and and you can too. So I think we really need healing centered practices at this time to help the youth be able to come, you know, overcome um, the collectively traumatic experiences of the last three years, yes. and that healing centered practices are really. The future. This is the next step beyond trauma-informed care and trauma-informed. Let's practice. go! Come on, that's the next level. I love to hear that. Thank you so much for joining us, Joshua. Um, hopefully, we'll have you um, as a guest again in the future. And thank you so much to our audience for joining us today as well. Absolutely. Thank you all. Please tap in. Thanks for listening to the show today. We hope we have helped to give you a better understanding of trauma and how historical trauma affects the human experience. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. We wish you a beautiful week.